Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the Texas spirit alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is The Beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. We're giving small business owners a platform to share their story. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and everything in between. This is The Beef Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing in partnership with Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Beef. I'm your host, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram. Today in the studio, I've got with me Jeremy Angus with Guardian Business Group. Jeremy, thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. Appreciate having me. All right, Jeremy. So we like to start off the episode with a little icebreaker question, if you will. Who is the most famous person you've ever met? Ooh, that's a good question. Funny enough, my my aunt was an actress. (laughs) Yeah, she was a childhood actress. She's, I guess it would be Bruce Campbell. Okay. I bought him a bagel. Nice. Me and my friend saw him in a, it was, it was at a, near a comic convention and he was sitting there having coffee. Me and my friend were like, I don't want to nerd out. I want to bug him. But I, I was like, I'm going to buy him a bagel. So I went and got a bagel and I walked up and was like, hey, I know you're eating. I don't want to bug you. But I just want to tell my friends I bought you a bagel. He's like, I'm okay with that. And I shook his hand and walked away. That's awesome. Didn't want to bug him, but I did buy him a bagel. So yeah. I good. I know I've met a few famous people. I always, like you, have to think back and I blank out whenever you get put on the spot like that. But I'll tell you the coolest one that I ever met was Uncle Cracker. I don't know if you listen to his yeah, music. Yeah, We were at Mardi Gras in Galveston. And my whole family was there. My wife, my mom, everybody, uh, my sister. Like We just had a bunch of friends and family there. And... We were doing what you do at Mardi Gras and having some fun, and we watched him play, and then he disappeared. Well, my mom, she was like a detective. You know, (laughs) she could find anybody. She's been on Willie Nelson's tour bus. I mean, she's got crazy stories of things like that. So I'm sitting there listening to the next act as they're coming up to get ready, and my phone's ringing. I'm like, man, they know where I'm at. Like, what are they calling me for? So I answered, hey, where are you at? I was like, I'm standing right here in front of the stage. Okay, well, you need to go to this restaurant right here behind the stage. <laughs> okay, why? Because I'm sitting here with Uncle Cracker right now. You need to come over here. And I was like, okay. So the backstory on that real quick is I've been, as a, a young kid, I've always sang. And I would do karaoke and stuff like that, singing competitions. And Uncle Cracker, Drift Away and Follow Me were two songs that I sang quite a bit. Well, Drift Away was kind of like, that was mine and my dad's jam. And so when he passed away, I actually sang that song at his funeral. And it was just because that was our jam. That's awesome. So Uncle Cracker had a special meaning to our family, you know, just because we all connected over his music. Man, it was so awesome to meet him. I went over there. I can't even remember the name of the restaurant now, but they have an upstairs area right there on the Strand. And so we go upstairs and I walk in and my mom is just sitting there with Uncle Cracker. Keeping him still for you. Yeah. And so we're we're all there grouped around and we literally just had dinner and drinks with Uncle Cracker. They gave me, uh, they signed my CD. They gave me a pic, all this stuff. And we're just chilling with Uncle Cracker. That's pretty awesome. I got a picture of my mom sitting on his lap. Aw. <laughs> She's like, I'm not letting you go. Yeah. So it was, man, it was just a cool little story. But yeah, I don't meet a whole lot of famous people, but you never know what will happen in the future. 
Yeah, I've I've met a handful of different lo- like celebrities, but they're usually people that are famous to me. Other people right. are like who? I'm like I met the band Mindless Self Indulgence, but you know, not yeah. a lot of people might know who that is. But yeah, right. just little things here and there. All right. So before we get started with all this, I've got to take a second to talk about our partner, a tremendous sponsor for this podcast, Community Bank of Texas. They know that especially now, the experience and availability of a banking partner is crucial. They're here to help and support your business, and their bankers have been working diligently to give clients the support that we need during these challenging economic times. As a business owner, a lot of things keep me up at night. My bank shouldn't be one of them. When you bank with Community Bank of Texas, you have the freedom to focus on your business commitments instead of worrying about how committed your banker is to you. Community Bank of Texas is proudly committed to partnering with you and your business through it all. The short-term hurdles, long-term growth, countless new directions. When it comes to doing business, they simply deliver a better banking experience. They're a foundation you can build your business on for decades to come. Community Bank of Texas is business banking, better banking, member of the FDIC, and an equal housing lender. So the reason we're here, man, tell me about you and you know where you came from all the way up to becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I was born in Humble, so I'm a local boy. My grandmother specifically were kind of gypsies. Not really, but they just, they couldn't settle. They moved everywhere. We lived in, you know, Oklahoma on a farm, and then we lived in Arizona from Phoenix, and then a little, we stayed in New York for a bit and just couldn't really, you know, just moved around quite a bit. Ended up back here, I think, by fourth grade. So I ended up back in Atascacita, so pretty close to where I came from. Went through the school system, all that jazz. Found out about halfway through school that, I don't know how I didn't figure it out earlier, but that I was legally blind because I was like, how do you guys see the board? I mean, I wasn't that interested in school, so it was really easy. You know, if you're not actually looking at the board, you have a pretty good excuse. It was kind of weird because they had no idea why. Couldn't wear glasses, couldn't wear contacts. They were like, we don't know. I didn't actually get diagnosed until I was like 28. I went through high school kind of just an average student, just kind of blah. Uh, when you're in special education, you become unfailable. I mean, it was in the 90s. So they didn't, 1990 was like the year that people with disabilities were considered human. And a lot of younger people don't notice that. Like ramps, elevators, accessibility, all that stuff. None of that. Braille on the walls, none of that before 1990. There's actually a really good movie about it called The Music Within. So if anybody's interested, it's about the guy who wrote it. It's really fascinating because they had they had laws back then called the ugly law. If enough people in a restaurant didn't like the way you looked, you could get escorted out by the police. So it's very different. Like people don't realize that it's like one of the last, I, actually, and when I was in college, we had to pick an underrepresented minority group to write a paper about for sociology. And I picked the disabled because it is literally the the largest minority group. It goes across all groups of people, and it's the only one you can just accidentally become a part of. And a lot of the people I work with in the disabled community, they were people that said, I didn't really care until I got in a car wreck. That kind of built, in high school, kind of, I developed a strong, funny personality. I'd make fun of myself first. It wouldn't bother me. So I just kind of learned this persona of, I can redirect people's attention away from the fact that I can't see, you know? And so... A lot of people didn't have that kind of same benefit. So I I would kind of try to help people out and befriend people. And it kind of taught me a lot about how to know a lot of different types of people and how to learn how to get along with the bullies and get along with the the freaks and the geeks, which I was watching last night. It's a great show. (laughs) 
that kind of built me up through high school, but I still, I didn't really care about school. I went, you know, I just was waiting to go home every time. When I left, I went to college and I treated it the same way. I was like, oh, it's high school. I'm going to be the class clown right now. Yeah. Until I actually had security come escort me out of a class and then they dropped me from the class and they gave me my money back. I was like, wow, the real world's very different (laughs) because they're like, sorry, in high school, they can't do anything to you. In college, they don't have to put up with you. And you're paying to be there. Exactly. So I ended up getting my GPA down, I think, 1.5 and went on academic probation, decided to get married. And that was the first time I actually opened a business. I opened a video game land center here in Tomball over by the movie theater. It's called DE Bunker. I met a lot of my current friends through that. And it was fun. I mean, we were one of the last ones, I think, that was ava- that was still around. What year was that? I think we closed in 05. So probably 03 to 05. Man, I can't believe I never heard it. I mean, I was in high school, 02 to 06. Here in Tomball? No, I was actually in Waller. Okay. But gaming was huge. Oh, yeah. And we were really into gaming, Halo, all that stuff, Xbox. And we had the LAN parties with the Xbox where, you know, we'd have cords going from the LAN hub out to four Xboxes, Mm -hmm. four TVs, four different rooms, and all of us, just 16 guys just crowded in a small house playing. Yeah, we had 30 PCs. And, you know, you missed out because we had two projectors with 11-foot screens with Xbox on them. So when people play Halo, they all each had like a 40 inch screen. Oh my God. It was dumb. People were like, what is this? See, that's somewhere I would have been. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, that was my first experience building a community, working on how to, like we talked about this earlier before, before we started the show about how important relationships are in business. That's where I learned that because I'm still friends with a lot of these people. And at first it was like, I'll start a cool place. It'll be fun. But after a while, people started to look up to me as this dad character. Back in the day, I had long hair, like down to my shoulders. I was married at the time and my wife would come with the kids and people would call me Jesus, which was silly because I'm like, every human being with long hair, like, whoa, Jesus had long (laughs) hair. And I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm not from Nazareth. So I don't know why you make that association, but it was, it was nice because I I did, there was a lot of those kids didn't have homes really. They wanted to go back to, they didn't have people listen to them. I have helped a few of them with drugs because I could tell something was wrong. And I was like, hey, man, like, you don't need to do that. You know, and it was fun. That was my favorite part of it was this nice community we built. And I still get messages today like, we can have a reunion sometime. But yeah, after that, I went and worked with my uncle. He's here in town, Guardian Tax Service. We've been here for about 15 years. You know, small business tax returns, personal taxes, business formations, which we help companies kind of get off the ground, do basic consultation. I don't know, about two years into it, I was like, man, I really don't want to get stuck in an office. I, <laughs> it was driving me crazy. I was mm-hmm. like, I, I don't want to, because there were some people there that we have some amazing staff and, and they've been doing it for a long time. But I just, I love talking and working with people and it just sitting and doing paperwork, especially with my vision, it just was tough. So I ended up going back to school at first for accounting and then for computers. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't really quite decide what I wanted to do. I ended up settling on psychology. Which ended up being great for me because it, you know, the business side of it I got. I, I understood how the business side worked. It was just kind of building up the knowledge of people, how to talk to people, how to work with people and, and really develop those relationships. And so I ended up going all the way through graduate school and I ended up settling on school psychology, worked in the schools for about five years. I was divided between a pre-K and a regular school. And oh man, I learned... I picked up a lot about business in that time because it's like working for a perpetually failing company. 
that's just being bought out every year. But I started to really see a correlation, huge one, between I just noticed like that, okay, so the way this structure works is that the parents and the taxpayers are the employee or the that's your clientele. That's who you're trying to not anger, right? Like you're trying to get them to approve of what you're doing. Right. Then we had the kids were the employees, teachers were middle management, admin, principals and vice principals are like regional managers, and then so on and so forth going upward. So I started to kind of work in that system because I, my job was to test kids to get into special ed, which is not fun. Because the way I was trained was it's a last minute. It's a last resort. But the way the school district wants you to do it is we get refunded for your work if they're in special ed. So get them in the special mm. ed. And I was like, no, that's not how this works. So you're not, you can't custom order a psychological evaluation, even though they wanted to. Right. So I started button heads and got myself into some trouble because I kept calling out the wrong people on doing the wrong thing. But it's just kind of where my life led me. And so I came up with this idea while I was working there because I came from a family of entrepreneurs and listening to your intro started making me think that's kind of what got me was that 50%. I mean, it's crazy that that hasn't changed. I'm sure it's not great now. I mean, I don't know if the statistics, we don't have much data for 20 and 21, but I'm sure companies that formed in early well, 20. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what COVID's going to do to those numbers. Yeah. One of my clients that I, I'd love to get on here was talking about, he's the, he has the comic book shop here in town. He opened, oh, yeah. August, of nine, he opened August of 19. So that. <laughs> yeah. I was part of the chamber of commerce with another company that we're still a part with that company, but we met them. Nice people. Yeah. I, I still have not him, been to the shop. I need to. I but. told him he should come out and do this show. For he's sure. Got, he's got a good story for sure. But yeah, so I started to think, you know, I watched my mom. Funny enough, the music studio that my mom built, it was like her dream is the CMS place right behind you. The people she worked with talked her into getting it bigger and bigger and bigger until it was too crazy. But I just, when I was younger, I saw her get taken advantage of a lot. There was a builder that she worked with I didn't trust, but they all trusted him. And I'm like, well, I'm 17. No one's going to listen to me. Sure enough, he was taking money. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I've got a un couple of uncles that have refrigeration companies and AC companies and our tax business. And I've just seen vendors come in. They're like, oh, we're great. We're here to help you. We want to help you out. And then they don't. And they don't do a good job or they don't deliver or they charge too much. You know, it's just, it's one of those things. So I started telling my uncle, I was like, have you ever noticed that we have a lot of clients forget that what we do, they like, oh, you know, I bought all these car, you know, I bought all these trucks for work and I, I think I got ripped off. Like, well, why didn't you talk to us? You guys do taxes. I'm like, no, we do financial advising and CFO stuff too. And I was like, I think it's just our name. It's Guardian Tax Service. So right. yeah, the branding, I get it. I had no idea before we got you on. And, and I mean, you know, I knew a few weeks ago when you signed up and you filled out all the questionnaires and stuff, but I would not have known beforehand, Yeah, you know? Well, because so. you would assume, oh, it's a tax place. Right. And so I was like, how do you fix that gap? How do you f help help make that? And I was like, well, we're already helping our clients. Our clients, if a client comes to me and says, I just had someone today, I, I stopped by a shop and they said, man, do you know anybody fixes uh, refrigeration? And I was like, well, I think I'm, I have three clients. I'll reach out to them and I'm coming to give you a quote. I know they're good people. I know they'll be fair to you and I'll tell them your situation and see what we can do. So we started talking about Guardian Business Group, which was because of my ADHD. I worked in all these different fields trying to find my niche. And when I was younger, I was like, man, I kind of, it's kind of a waste of time. You know, I, I spent all this time learning how to do 
computers and then learning, working in HR and then, you know, doing IT stuff and then dabbling in marketing. And it's like, but I only learned a little bit. Right. But then I realized I learned just enough to BS about it, (laughs) to sit with an expert and talk to them. And they like it. They're like, oh, cool. Someone I can talk to that kind of gets it. Not an expert, but if I were an expert, I wouldn't want to hear about it. Right. So I started to kind of build my business. I kind of started building a business model around Tom Sawyer. If I can find the fence, and then I can get people to paint it. Just like we were talking about earlier with, with your podcast idea. I was like, oh, man, you know, I always thought it'd be cool to do a business about sm- a podcast about small business, but I'd have to learn how to do it. I have to do the research. I have to buy all their equipment where there's somebody here that's already doing it. It just makes so much more sense to collaborate with other companies. So I even started reaching out to other tax firms. I was like, look, we, we got big. We, there's really big tax firms we need to worry about. We're not going to worry about I'm not. I'm not going to take your clients. I'm not interested. We've got lots of clients. We're fine. But we need to start teaming up because one of the things I've also noticed in the last three years is we've got an influx of company people from tax places where one, let's say it's a mom and pop shop and and mom's doing the tax returns and she gets sick. And then they clients show up and they go, sorry, she's sick. We can't do anything. Or one of the craziest ones, we got like 40 clients from this woman in Conroe who just ran off to Mexico with some guy, one of her clients. And her husband just told everybody, sorry. And so they found us that way. We also found another guy down in spring who is in prison now because he doesn't, he was getting everybody refunds that weren't paying taxes. And another, that's another reason I was like, what if I could talk to all these firms? We all work together. And if they ever get to a point where they, they don't want to work anymore, we could buy their clients, you know, instead of just getting them for free. You know, help, I just... I just feel like there's so much business to go around. And I feel like small business forgets that it's the most powerful business in the world. It's what 75% of the people employed in the United States come from small business. And, but we're all fighting each other and the corporations aren't (laughs) big corporations. Don't argue with each other. They don't need to. They're like, well, we own everything. It's like, no, you don't. So what if we could bring that corporate, power or, or structure to small companies. So I, I built this team. I've got a, a CPA firm and a HR tech. And then I have a systems expert that works with me. She built the processing and shipping for FMC for about 15 years. So she brings that to small business. She'll sit down with our owners. And while they're talking, she's drawing. And then at the end, she's like, is this your company? And they're like, whoa. But see, that small companies don't when you go to a small business owner, you go, hey, you need better operational systems or operations. And what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What are procedures? And so that's what we're doing with our company is really trying to fill that gap and be that point of contact that like, hey, we'll find somebody for you. If we can't, then at least let us talk to the person you hire. Make sure they know what they're talking about. Because sometimes they're really good at sounding like they know what they're talking about mm-hmm. until they actually do the work. So, Absolutely. I think you kind of answered that question then about, you know, why, why y'all are in this business and, and why it was created. What are some hurdles that you faced going through this? Well, I left the school district in 2018, you know, and it's, it's hard to walk away from a salary. And I have friends that are trying to make that decision now that if they're going to leave a certain job and go to self-employment, and I always tell them the same thing. It's like, well, you're going from being fed to hunting. So yeah, it's it's stressful. Mm-hmm. It's it's a scary jump. And it was scary because it's like I you know, I went from I was finally comfortable in the position of a licensed specialist in school psychology. I felt confident with my reports. I felt confident giving my 
advice. You know, because when I first got there, immediately you get imposter syndrome. You walk in the door like, hey, diagnose this kid. Really? Like, like I have to write a report that, yeah, go ahead. And it's just like, you know, that feeling like, well, I did it in school. And now, you know, it, it, it takes a while to get past that. And then here I go right into business consulting and same thing. I'm like, you know, you, you start giving advice, start working with people. Something goes wrong, you fix it, but then you, you run through your head like, oh, should I be doing this? And so that was one of the hardest things is that part of me was like, I wonder if I should go back. Because I 19 was the first year I wasn't there. And I was really considering going back in 20. And around March, the decision was kind of made for me because it was like, oh, you know, after everything that happened, it was just like this. There's no way I could go back. And I'm just, like I said, it's it's tough because I, I'm a child advocate. I want to advocate for the child, and very few districts will let you do that. They want you to advocate for the lawyers. <laughs> it's kind of the, the way it's set up. But another issue back in 2019 when we really first started getting clients and working with people was that people didn't know what we were talking about. Okay, so imagine your entire back office isn't in the office because they don't need to be. You don't need to have your bookkeepers in-house. You don't need to have your tech guys in-house. You don't need to have your HR there until they need to be there. And most of the time, they don't. Because if you have a bookkeeper who also answers the phones and goes to lunch with everybody, there's a really good chance that everyone knows what they're getting paid. (laughs) Everybody knows what everybody else is getting paid. And you're always behind on your bookkeeping. Because back to the psychology thing, when you're working on data tasks doing bookkeeping, it can take 20 to 30 minutes when you're distracted to get back on task. So when I go into a place and I'm taking notes, I'm like, they're getting phone calls every 15 minutes. Or someone's coming up to the desk to ask them a question about payroll. They're never going to be caught up. Right. But when you have a remote worker that's just, that's what they do, you go look at your numbers, they're ready. Makes sense. It's streamlining. Exactly. But one of the first things we did with one of our clients was we had a video conference where it was me and him for an hour and each vendor came in for 15 minutes. And they were like, wow, that kind of felt like I was a big CEO in a boardroom, like, yeah, they came in and gave their briefings and then they left. They kept, the vendors only had a 15 minute time that they had to use, but the owner got all the information they needed. But I mean, this guy's my age and he was still like, I can't believe you can do this talking on videos. I'm like, I'm a gamer, man. We've been doing this for like 15 years. Right. But yeah, that was a big hurdle. People had no idea. But now, since luckily I spent the last year and a half getting the name out there, I've been getting calls like, hey, what was that? You had mentioned something about remote work. I, I've been hearing a lot about that now. Like, yes, sir. Like, that's something that can be done. But the good news is, since we started early, we've got the infrastructure in place. So, yeah, you're not behind on the curveball trying to catch up. And and there's a lot of other companies, and that's the nice thing. There's a bunch of other companies doing what we're doing, but our focus is customer service. So unless they want to give better customer service, they can't really compete with us. You know, and that's I'm not worried about competition again because there's plenty of business, but. You know, if somebody's like, well, I'm going to treat my people better. Like, that's the kind of competition I'm cool with. Right. Not undercutting each other or trying to cut corners. Like, I want to treat my, I'm going to give my people feet massages. Like, good for you, man. Wouldn't that be nice? So what is your ideal customer? Who needs you the most? What we're really looking for, keep in mind, we do have a a, a scale. Like, a so we, we do have some services for, for companies that need cleanup. We have some services for companies that are startups, but our main, I guess, flagship is scaling. We get people that gotten close to half a million, closer to a million in revenue, and they're looking to buy a new shop. They're looking to hire. 
I want to scale. I'm ready to get larger. So then that's when my team can come in and build the scaffolding. We build build out their bookkeeping so that it can grow. We build out their IT so that it can grow. HR. And it's like, if you're going to grow, you really better sure you have hiring, firing packets, you know, because a lot of these small companies don't even have job descriptions. I mean, I was dealing with somebody the other day who had a salesperson. He's only sold something once in the last two months. I'm like, well, what's the minimum you gave him? What do you mean? Where's his job description? Did you tell it to him? Yeah, then it doesn't exist. Like, he sold something. He's a salesperson. He could literally never sell anything again. He's not violating his job. Right. Because he has no job. And so... It's little things like that coming in, really helping companies get to that scalable level. But by bringing in corporate, the idea is to bring in corporate functioning, but without removing the small business culture. No, it makes perfect sense. And then I'm assuming, hopefully that's on a little bit of a budget too, for some companies that don't have that million dollars in revenue that are able to just throw money away. Are y'all able to save some companies money to the point you kind of justify your cost? Yeah. So what we usually do, because we usually come in as a CFO also. So here's a good example. We've had this last client for almost a year now and his bill hasn't changed because what we've done is we implemented what we thought was the emergency triage. And then after a little while, like, okay, we've got the bookkeeping in place. The taxes are settled. We're caught up with TWC, all that stuff that can get you in trouble. That's good. So that service drops off, and now we're going to implement IT services. We got their networks on the cloud. We got all their security taken care of. Their data is backed up. Their QuickBooks is backed up. Cool, we're done. That drops off the bill. Now we're going to add HR. So what we do is we, we're not going to just throw every service at them at the beginning. We build them in order of what's going to get them in trouble the most. And with the current environment, IT had to come before HR. Right now, we're in the middle of HR, so we're building a, or our associate uh, is is building us a job descriptions, employee manual, hiring packets, so that when people come in, offer letters, th- you know, that stuff that Target might have, but you know, a small company doesn't. Like I said, we try to keep the bill from fluctuating too much. We do offer three tiers of services at this point. So the top tier one would be basically your regular day-to-day reoccurring services. So again, bookkeeping, HR, compliance. We, we call it taxes, but it's really compliance management because we work with Secretary of State, the Comptroller, TWC, Harris County Appraisal District, which most companies don't even know about until they show up at your door with an audit. And then you have to count up all the assets in your building and tell them how much it is and pay taxes on it. So a lot of people don't even know that exists because they're really bad at following up. <laughs> they don't send a lot enough letters, so... Stuff like that. That's where we come in. And then tier two is going to be short, kind of short to long-term contracts. So uh, we have somebody who does leadership training, for instance, or Salesforce training or, or marketing, right? Marketing campaigns. So those companies, when they came in, if they're tier two, that means that we're, they're part of the collaborative process. Marketing is a big one too, because it's like, hey, what do you need access to? You know, because do you need to look at some numbers? Do you need to talk to the IT guys? Like, that's what this is all about. And we would meet Basically, outside, we try not to pull the owners in too much unless they want to be involved. And we're trying to teach the owners how to be owners and not to be employees themselves. Because that's a big question we have to ask. You say you own a business, but really you've built yourself a job outside of somebody else's company. Right. And that happens way too much because the owners, you know, it's their baby and they want to make sure it's done right. And without proper employee training, it's it's tough to get people to actually follow your vision. Right. 
So yeah, tier two, like I said, that's all short-term kind of contractual stuff. And then our tier threes are going to be referrals. Like for instance, one of the clients we work with here and rents out printers. And he was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll give you a referral fee if you send me somebody. I don't need to be involved in that. Now, if he needs to talk to my IT guy, I can help, but there's not a lot of coordination with pulling, bringing in a printer and plugging it in and bringing on the network. So some stuff like that would be more referral based. Gotcha. Now, it seems like I would say that the moral of the story is that if you have a business, you need to be talking to Jeremy because <laughs> you can do it all. And if you can't do it, then you can refer them to somebody that can. I mean, that's really what it sounds like. I mean, like I said, that's I like seeing people. That's the biggest thing. Everyone says the same thing to me. I don't know what I don't know. And so I say, okay, well, let's talk about how a company works. And if you hear something in there that you didn't know, then I'll point you in the direction of the guy that knows it. Because that's the thing. It's like I could become, that's what I was trying to do is become an expert in it all. Actually, when I first started the company, you talk about hurdles. I got two companies and I was doing it all in-house. And then I turned to everybody. I was like, hey, I got a company. We can do their bookkeeping, their payroll, all this and everybody else was like, dude, we're full. We don't need more clients. And I was like, oh, so I did it. So I was doing the bookkeeping, the payroll. And uh, unfortunately, one of the comp- well, one of the companies ended up going out of business because he didn't listen. I was trying to show him like, hey, you're spending your money too fast, blah, blah. And it, it just it just didn't work out. And the, but the second one was actually the comics guy. So we that actually took, turned out pretty well. And, and I'm, I'm glad he was able to make it through all the hard times. But... Yeah, I hit that level where I was like, I shouldn't be doing this because I'm the one who's good at communicating. I'm the one who's good at getting people here. But if I'm doing the work, I can't go out and meet new people. So finding the experts and finding the right people to connect to, that's that's really where it comes down to for me. It's just call it integrity marketing. People laughed about it two years ago, but now people are like, I mean, honestly, after COVID, after big these big companies that you're supposed to be able to protect supposed to be there for you really just bailed on small companies. I mm-hmm. feel like people are starting to really see the the benefit of do these people have integrity? I mean, yeah, there there's a lot to be said about the lowest price point, but right? You get what you paid for. Absolutely. No, we're we're firm believers in that that you know, some things are going to be more expensive than others, but you got to look at what you're really getting out of that. Website prices vary from, you know, very very low to very very high, and I mean, we're talking Fifteen, twenty thousand dollars if you want to pay it. Yep. But you got to look at what you're getting, and you got to see what the value is there beyond just the product. I mean, yeah, how great is the product going to be? But at the same time, are they going to be there for you during COVID? Like you said, are they going to be the ones? You know, do you want a company that just takes your money, gives you the product, and that's it? You're over. Small businesses are amazing because you've got those people that are going to reach out to you during times like this. Hey, man, are you okay? Like, is your company good? Do y'all need anything from us beyond what we do? Yeah. You know, those relationships are important, I think. We got pretty lucky because when I came back, I was like, we're behind on technology. Like, we're, we're using way too much paper. I mean, we, we turn out a lot of work between just a handful of preparers, but it could be better. It could be less stressful. It could be better checks and balances, you know, avoiding errors, you know. Because one of our client, one of our company mottos is that if we make a mistake and it costs you money, we have to pay it. It just makes sense. It was not your fault. It it was late. It wasn't your fault that the numbers were wrong. We fix it. And with the IRS, if you fix it, you're fine. And if our name's on it, then it's not your fault anyway, you know? And so one of the things we really tried to implement with that was wanting to help companies through these times. And so I was able to get us on a cloud system. It was great. That's one of the reasons we signed with my IT guy. He came out about a 
a year before we signed up with him. And he was like, mm, you guys don't need me yet. Mm. I was like, what? And he's like, well, I mean, my service is kind of pricey. And like looking at what you guys have, Jeremy, if you do this, this, and this, it'll secure data and you'll be good. These are your gaps. Here you go. I was like, that's like $10,000 worth of consulting. He's like, yeah. don't worry about it. And then we got busy and we got more busy. And then right at the end of 19, I called him. I was like, I think we need you now. And he came out and did another assessment. He's like, okay, let's go. And I was like, you know, I called you is because you turned us down. Like, yeah. We came, you turned us down for business. That's, people don't do that. He's like, well, you weren't ready. Now you are. So don't worry. You know, got us up a week before the mandatory shutdown. And everybody else had closed. IRS was closed, and we started getting calls like crazy from around Houston. So me, my uncle, and the other preparers, we just jumped into, let's learn this PPP. Let's learn about this idle loan. Let's learn about how stimulus works. And so we became an information center, and that was huge for our company. But same thing. If we didn't hear from somebody, you called them, hey, you doing all right? Yeah, yeah, we're all right. Have you heard about the PPP loan? Like, the what? Here's $80,000 that you had no idea about because they were in the trenches, you know, trying to get the work done. And right now we're helping with the uh, employee retention credit, which is crazy. If you have employees who are on W-2 wages for 2020 and 21, and you have loss of income, which is pretty likely, you can get up to 70% of their wages refunded. And Jeez. nobody knows about it. I had a client come to me and said, man, I don't think I'm going to qualify. Well, let's see what we can do. We got them $200,000 back, tax-free. I mean... It, it does weigh against how much you paid, so you lose expenses on your end-of-the-year tax return, but you don't have to spend it like the PPP loan. You could buy a yacht with it. I wouldn't recommend it, but <laughs> yeah, it's nice to see our companies getting these cash injections. I mean, honestly, it's probably the best thing the IRS has done. They just won't advertise it. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. Yeah, right? All right. Well, how do we support you, man? What, what can listeners do to support your company? What do you need from us, and where do we go to do that? Well, if you guys go to gbgadvisors.com, that's our website. You can kind of get an idea of what we're looking for. Right now, I'm working with our graphic designer. We're, we're going to be having a meeting. Wednesday's the, the deadline for the corporation taxes, so I'll be kind of mentally busy till then. But after that, I need more business-to-business -business vendors. I want to, if you feels like this is the kind of company you'd want to be a part of, there's no contract, there's no fee to be a part of it. We do try to negotiate some kind of finder's fees, you know, to help our company run, things like that. But the idea is integrity. You want to help small companies. And our big three things is that one, you take care of your customers. Two, you take care of your employees. And three, you get back to the community somehow. If those three things are checked off, then that's the kind of people we want to work with. But it's really easy. You come in. You, you start working with us, you do good by my clients, you get phone calls. You do bad by my clients, you don't get phone calls. It's really simple. Like, it's try to keep it just tight like that. And also remembering that I'm trying to expand. I mean, I keep meeting people that I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I met somebody at a, a chamber event at, a, at another area. She does floral designs, like the plant you have in here. And then I was at another event and some... This woman was setting up a doctor's office and she's like, yeah, the last thing I need, I'd love to get some floral stuff. I was like, oh, here's a card. So she sent me like a hundred dollar gift card for making the connection. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, that that's, there's so many different business to business things that are coming up, new ideas, new concepts. And so I, the more I can add to our plate, it makes our company more valuable, but we don't, we try not to work. Yeah. We don't affect the sovereign control of the company. I'm not going to tell you how to run your company, but 
as long as you're meeting those three criteria. However you go about that, that's fine. That's really it. Is it, you know, and if you know anybody out there that's looking to expand or just needs some general business advice, you know, Googling it, reading reviews can help. But if you're in the area, Houston area at all, just reach out to us. I mean, if I can't help you, I'll let you know. Phone number, email. Mine's Jeremy at gbgadvisors.com. Gotcha. And then let me see here. Are y'all on social media at all? We have a LinkedIn page, but we haven't fully developed it yet. <laughs> gotcha. We've been too busy doing the work, right? Because, I mean, a lot of the thing is we're not going to do a big social media campaign because a lot of the way we make our connections with clients is directly. We do a lot of word of mouth. We have a lot of connections. And right now, the last year and a half, we spent building the machine, you know, the, the actual system. And now we're at the point, this is the last quarter of 21. And I think that right now is where we're going to rush and start to get as many clients as we can to start the year out fresh. Fresh set of books, everything kind of legitimized, spend the next year getting companies up to where they need to be. That's kind of what we're looking for. But at the same time, we're not looking for an influx of 100 clients, more like 10, <laughs> 10 Fair or enough. 15, until we get to that point where we have enough vendors to separate the work enough. But like I said, we act as the coordinators. So the, the owners only have to contact me or my associate, and then we fix the problem. Fair enough. Jeremy, I can't thank you enough for being here today. It was honestly, it was a great conversation. I think we picked up some really good tips there for small businesses. Man, it's been great. Thank you for coming. Hey, no problem. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Beef Podcast, sponsored by Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more small business stories, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. To share your story, visit us at beefymarketing.com. Till next time, thanks for listening to The Beef.